0: The sermon is in Jonah, starting in chapter 3. Jonah 3. One of the things that bugs me the most about Christianity today is the use of the Bible out of context. People like to, because there's all kinds of great things in the Bible, but people like to take just a verse. And I understand why. In the age of Twitter, you got 140 characters, which I guess now is going up to 280, so hopefully we'll get more context here in a little bit. But 140 characters, so one verse is all you really get a lot of times. You know we're in that sort of microwave world where everything's throwaway and just want it quick and fast. So Christians tend to take a scripture, one little sentence, and they use it out of context. And and it's not for a, neg- a bad reason. It's just that they don't they're not taking the time. And what happens is it's the telephone game where you say something and it just keeps getting changed over a period of time. Um, one of the best examples of out of context is. Who knows about the term that God will never give you anything you can't handle? You've heard that? There's bracelets, there's shirts, there's songs. Who here, raise your hands if you know that's, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. That is not true. God gives you things you can't handle all the time. All the time. God, think about it. God gives people cancer. People die from cancer. They could handle it. No, God gives you things all the time because he's working on you. He's testing, and sometimes he's working through you, the testimony you have because of the circumstance you dealt with. That there, though, that God cannot give you more than you can handle comes from 1 Corinthians 10.13. We're not going to go there, but 1 Corinthians 10.13. And it refers to the fact that it says, and now this is the quote, I'm pretty sure, it says, I wrote it down, but I lost my paper. Um... That no temptation has overtaken you that isn't uncommon to man. For if you come into temptation, God has prepared a way for you to escape. Okay, that's what it says. And it's talking about temptation. It's talking about, just previously he's talking about people who, if you can't sustain from carnal pleasures, get married. Because evidently you need to have a marriage going on rather than sinning by having sex outside of marriage and stuff. He's talking about it's... So, 1 Corinthians 10.13 is referring to the fact that when you come into a temptation, when you have something that's in this world that's hard to deal with, God will provide a way for you to deal with it. And, I mean, it's... It, sometimes it's not apparent you have to look for it, but usually it, it, it's actually there. I mean, it'll happen... Being honest... Occasionally you'll be on Facebook or something and a picture shows up and says something like click here to see this woman without her clothes on. And you're like, Huh, nobody's around. That kinda that's kinda interesting. Maybe I'll click here. And truth be told, happened to me about two weeks ago. And right just before I'm like, nobody'll know. Ding dong huh? FedEx. I'm not expecting anything. Go over there. Oh, yeah. No, that's our next-door neighbor. Are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure it's your... No, that's our next-door neighbor you're looking for. And I go back. That's a clear sign from God that I'm not supposed to be doing what I'm doing. Now, in my, eternal, in my carnal state at the moment, I was just angry. I was like, dang it. I was about to do something. You're messing it up. Get out of here, man. What's wrong with you? But <laughs> that's... Every little sign, if you're looking for it, God is providing a reason, an excuse yeah. for you to get out of what's going on. Right. Therefore, like when I was at like 12, they, they would teach that verse that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 has. The example is, this is the, the exact example that was being used, is if you need a seven-pound bowling ball, and the only thing there is is 12-pound bowling balls. And God's going to give you, imagine these are imaginary God-gifted bowling balls. (laughs) God will not give you a 12-pound bowling ball that you can't handle without providing a way for you to handle it, Mm -hmm. to deal with it. That's not saying you're not going to ever get the 12-pound bowling ball. That's saying he will help you with it. And therefore, it's talking about God helping us. Through life, giving us leading and guiding and providing ways for us to deal with what we what we struggle with. The thing is, is you take that, and all of a sudden people start saying, Yeah, yeah, if if God won't give you something you can't handle, and next thing you know, 20 years later, you got songs being written and t-shirts being made. God won't give you something you can't handle. It hasn't, it's a temptation meaning being tempted by something in the world. God will provide a way for you not to do it if you look for it. You have to look for it. It's not always apparent. But that's using Scripture incorrectly. That's just taking what somebody said one time somewhere and not actually knowing what the context of the Scripture is. Jonah's the same way in the sense that when they preach it, they preach it as a story of a guy who didn't have faith, he runs away, and then he decides to do what God wants and that all's, that all's happy and good. That's not at all <laughs> what the story of Jonah is. We went over last week how that Jonah didn't run away because he he was he he was fearful for his life. He ran away because he didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. He didn't. These people were torturing Israel. They had been just hammering Israel for. Hundred hundred fifty years, they'd been taking people out. They'd been raiding them and taking captives and dispersing them throughout the, the world. He hated these people. He didn't want to see them saved, so he went the opposite way. We're going to read in uh, chapter three, and then we're going to talk a little bit, and then we're going to go to four and really get into the meat of what of what the, what the whole book is about. So chapter three says. Starting in one, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the preaching that I bid you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey, meaning from one wall to the other, took three days to walk it, it was huge. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them even unto the least of them. For the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and of his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor beast. Herd nor flock taste anything, uh, let them not feed nor drink uh, nor water, drink water, and let no man or man beast be covered, and let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yea, let them turn everyone from the, his evil way and from the violence that is in their lands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they had turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do to them, and he did it not. Now, the word repent just means to be grieved to the point of changing your mind, or changing direction. So God does not repent because he doesn't do evil. God repented in the sense that he said he was going to do something, and he didn't do it. It would be the same thing, again, I'm going to go out and I'm going to drink until I can't even feel my face anymore. And then you decide not to because you feel bad that you'd be wasting a bunch of money that you could have been paying your rent with or something. That's repenting (laughs) of what something you did. Just you feel bad for it, you change your mind. Um, But here we have that the story of, and now I I change all the V's to U's and stuff like that. So we're reading the same thing. But... um, the people of Nineveh, as I went over last week, were they were so evil and just so terrible. They were running head first as fast as they could off a cliff. They were killing themselves with their debauchery, with their with their evil practices. And God was using them as an instrument of justice on Israel because Israel did not do what it was told. Was being idolatrous. Was doing child sacrifice. Doing all kinds of terrible things, and God was using Nineveh, Assyria, as His method of taking vengeance on Israel for doing the wrong thing. Unfortunately, Nineveh was so evil they were going to destroy themselves before they had a chance to finish God's work. So God said, "No, no Jonah, I need you to go in there. I need you to get them to change their ways so they'll prolong their days." And they did. Now this isn't saying everybody, but a portion enough. Remember, God said if you could find ten good men in Sodom and Gomorrah, he wouldn't have destroyed the cities. Just ten. So evidently, ten or more, let's say, (laughs) changed. Um, More than likely, if you research this out, more than likely this happened, the king of Nineveh at the time was a guy named uh, um, uh, sacharab. He's mentioned in the Book of the Kings He's trying to take over Israel. They fought for years and years and years. Eventually, God, through a miraculous way, actually took out a bunch of his soldiers. So he went back to Nineveh to live for a period of time. But before he could reassemble his, his uh, group of, of fighters to come back, he was killed by his sons so that they could take over and, and uh, lead another revolt that did actually overthrow Israel. That's, that's sort of an important thing in the sense that they used to claim Saccharab didn't exist. They said he didn't exist, that was just made up in the Bible. Well, now they have pottery, and they have coins, and they have inscriptions of the guy that they found in the last 15 years or so. that proved the Bible was correct. He lived pretty much exactly when he, they said he did. He did the things they said he did. And he had a shorter reign because he was, in fact, killed. So we do now know that the Bible is correct about that. So the point is, is they'll say, well, Nineveh didn't change because they didn't, the whole city didn't become, the Assyrians didn't become Yahweh followers. It's not saying the whole city did. It's not saying that they had to. A portion of the men, and even that, the king, he changed his ways. Who's to say on the timetable, it doesn't give us a scale, a time scale of, of, of when this happened. Who's to say that he didn't change his ways, and that's why his sons didn't kill him, just so they could continue their conquest. So, it doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't see that as being important enough to tell us. So, we don't really need to know it. However, you know, again, that's probably who it was. And he was just looking for, just, again, God's just looking for a few good people to give him a reason and to, know, to, to save an entire country. To save an entire nation of people. Just a few good people is all he needs. Now, the thing is, For whatever reason, when people preach this, they only preach the odd-numbered passages. They preach chapter 1 and chapter 3. And the rest of it, they kind of go, eh. Four, they'll mention, but they kind of mention it in passing. Kind of say, oh, and he left the city, and he sat, and he was angry, and blah, blah, blah. Kind of. Two and four are the best passages. Chapter 2, because it has the prayer of Jonah, which is one of the greatest poetic prayers in the Testament. And four, because it's the point of the entire book. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to telegraph it to you. The point of the entire book is that it doesn't matter if you're happy with doing God's work. God's going to do it anyways. Honestly, that's the purpose of the book. You'll have all kinds of people try to do all kinds of dress it up and make it all, all kinds of... That's the point of the book. You don't have to be happy over it. God's going to do it anyways. Matter of fact... And this is, the, this is the point of the sermon. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to be sad. The Christian gets a bad rep. Well, how can you be a Christian and have depression? How can you be a Christian and be sad and doubt? We're human. We all have doubts. Doubting, even doubting your salvation, even doubting God, that does not send you to hell. Unbelief sends you to hell. Having doubts is to be human. It shows that you think. It shows that you're, you're compassionate. And at the same time, being depressed. We now know that a lot of people who are depressed, it's actually more of a chemical imbalance than it is other, than it is just per, like a person wants to be upset. But even if you're not, some people want to be upset. Some people had a crappy childhood, and they take it out on the people around them now that they're an adult. Mm-hmm. They want to to be upset. They want to be angry about this. You do something nice for them and they find a reason to say something negative about it. They want to be. And to be honest with you, that's, 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 that's people, that's life. That person might make you sad. That person might do something. That's life. We're allowed to be sad. We're allowed to mourn for a better time in the past. We're allowed to mourn for the future. It says numerous times throughout the Bible that all of creation groans for the day when we'll be reunited with the perfection of God. Because until then, we're broken. We're broken people. We're broken world. And we groan for the salvation of God. And we never feel it totally on this earth. You can feel, oh, I felt close to God. A really good worship service. And the music is great. And you, oh, wow. But when it ends, it ends. And it's you and God. And you say, man, I wish I could continue all the time. Honestly, I think that's, that's done on, on purpose. Because if it always felt like you were in this perfect communion with God, then you wouldn't long to be with him. You wouldn't long for better days. You wouldn't long to do better and be better and act better. You have to go through the valleys yeah. so that you can appreciate yeah. the mountaintops. Right. And there's a lot more valleys in life than there are mountaintops. And the valleys are a lot longer. But it's okay. If somebody tells you you shouldn't be depressed, you shouldn't be depressed. There's bad things happening all around. Now you shouldn't let that stop you. You should, in God's word, you be angry and said not. Yeah. Be sad, but do the right thing. Use that for you. If you're if you're truly sad or depressed because something There's been a grievous sin committed. Try and right that sin. If God is giving you a pulling that tells you something, then that means that's your your cue to do something. I've always, I said, I lived in a church, I went to a church where everybody would tell you what everything was wrong with the church. Everybody knew what was wrong with the church and what would fix it. Mm -hmm. Nobody was willing to do anything about it. Oh, that's what, you, you can fix it. You can fix it if you just follow my—my my, what I tell you. If you're sitting there saying, somebody should do something, somebody should do something about this, no matter what it is, homeless, orphans, whatever it is, if you're saying somebody should do something about that, you know what you're really saying? I should do something about that, but I'm not going to. I should, but I'm not. I'm just going to let it sit. If you're feeling a tug, there's probably something. And you don't have to save the world. You don't have to adopt a thousand puppies or seventy kids. Help somebody. Send a letter sometime. Encourage somebody. Write a check if you have the means. If you don't have a check, go give go go donate an hour, a week to go hug on some kids that are that don't have parents or something. Anything. You can do anything at all. Again, pray. Pray about it. If you can't do anything, if you're an invalid and you can't get out, pray. You can at least do something. And it's okay, again, it's okay to be sad about it. It's not, I've struggled with depression throughout my entire life. I had some stuff happen as a kid and it affected me. And that doesn't, just because you struggle doesn't mean that it's bad. The struggle is what creates your character. The the struggle is what shows character. The struggle is what builds character. You you are who you truly are in the dark when nobody can see. You are who you truly are when you're in the valley alone. Mm -hmm. That's how you know who you are. And who was Jonah? Jonah was a very frustrated, very upset prophet of God who did what he was said, told, but he wasn't happy about it. He wasn't happy about it. And you can go all through the Bible. I'm just gonna throw out a couple verses if you want to go check these out. Jeremiah, first chapter, 19 verse. And that's where Jeremiah is called. Jeremiah was afraid. Jeremiah was young. He was probably between 16 and 20 years old. And God said, I need you to do something for me. And he said, I can't. I'm too young. I'm a child. They won't listen to me anyways. He was scared. It's okay to be scared. God said, God touched his lips and said, don't worry. I got you. I'll cover you. And Jeremiah went through some terrible things. He had his life threatened. He was thrown into a pit of quicksand. All kinds of crazy stuff. He lived a really tough life. And he wrote the book of Lamentations, which essentially means the book of tears and crying (laughs) over it. Um... You can go to Ruth in the first chapter of Ruth her name the name Naomi Naomi means pleasant it means like to be like happy and joyous to be not just pleasant to look at but happy and joyous by the time you get to verse 20 she says when it says is this Naomi she said don't call me Naomi call me Mara Mara means bitter it means to be be frustrated she said call me Mara because the Lord has uh, dealt bitterly with me Even in Luke, 22nd chapter, Jesus Christ himself, on the night before he was to be executed, went into the garden, and he cried, and he cried, and he sweat blood. He was so afraid. And so his his earthly body was in fear. As God, he knew it had to happen, but he prayed, God, let this cup pass from me if it be your will. And God said, it's not my will. You're going to have to go through it. But his earthly body knew, and he was so in stress, he sweat blood. Jesus himself was sad. Jesus himself worried. So, we're going to go and finish chapter 4. And we're going to see how exactly this works out. So Jonah chapter 4, we're just going to read through. It's 11 quick verses says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry, and he prayed up to the Lord and said, I pray you, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repent you of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech you, my life from me, For it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Do you well to be angry? Do you well means do you like. Do you like being angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth, a tabernacle, and he sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head. To deliver him from his grief, so Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, that it withered. And it came to pass, when the sun did arise, that God prepared a a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted, and wished for him in himself to die, and said, "It is better for me to die than to live." And God said to Jonah, do you well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, "And he said, Jonah said, I do well to be angry. Yes, I like being angry. That was his response to God. Yes, I like being angry. Even to death. Then said the Lord, you have had pity on the gourd, which for which you have not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousands, 120,000 persons that cannot discern their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? And it ends. There's no conclusion. There's no happy. And Jonah said, you know what, you're right, God, I should be happy. And he walked away. God asked him, do you like being angry over this? And Jonah said, yeah, yeah. I do like being angry over this. It makes me feel better inside to be angry over this. Jonah had a sinful attitude about it because he didn't want the people who were terrorizing his people to to, to go to heaven. He says, I knew this, God. I told you when I was before. You are gracious, you are merciful, and you will let nobody who calls on your name go to hell. And I don't want that. Jonah's problem, the reason why Jonah fled, was because he knew who God was. He knew his character. He knew what God would do for him and for them. And he didn't want it. But if you look in the end, there's no conclusion to it. Well, what happened? It doesn't tell us. Why? It doesn't matter. God says, told him, you didn't make the gourd grow, meaning God did that. You didn't change the hearts of the people. I did that. You're not going to save people. I do that. And therefore, when Jonah was mad, God said, it doesn't matter if you're happy about this. It doesn't matter. Be sad. Mope about it. Do whatever you want to do. I am going to make a great work out of you anyways. I'm going to do a good thing out of you anyways. You don't have to be happy about it. Matter of fact, there are times when the best thing you can do when something first happens Go cry about it. Go cry it out. Go into a room by yourself and cry it out. And then come back with a new resolve to do better, to live better, to be more like God, to be closer to God. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay for the Christian to long for better days, to long for the future, to long for the kingdom of God. But the thing is, is don't let yourself sin because of it. Be angry, sin not. In this case, be sad. It's fine to be sad. But Jonah was being sinful because he wanted someone to go to hell because he didn't like them. That's, That's wrong. You can be angry about it. You can even be angry. Let's say you set up a mission in the middle of downtown Akron. And people that you just hated this certain type of people for whatever reason. Drug dealers or whatever they were. And these are the only people coming to your church and they're getting saved and doing that. And you're going, I would much rather preach to single mothers. But all I'm getting is drug dealers. These people are killing people out here. People are overdosing all the time on heroin and stuff. And they're the cause of it. And yet they're getting saved. Maybe that's what God wants. Yeah. Maybe that was your call from the beginning. It doesn't matter you don't like it. God's going to do a great work for you anyways. You can go to hell and still, he'll dig it his way. Amen. But you, it, why not much better to deal with the emotions? Deal with them. They're real. They're real emotions. You feel them. Deal with them in the healthiest way possible. And then continue on life in the will of God. Yeah. That you may do a mighty work for the Lord. Not a good work. A mighty work. A work that will bring people in A work that will help you as a person to live in the joy of God more often. Because there's no more joyous time than when you are in the will of God. You can do something that you don't want to do and find joy in it. And it's because you're in the will of God. So how do you have... It's not about health, wealth, and prosperity. It's about happiness and contentment in the Lord. Yeah. It is about doing the right thing because it's the right thing. It's about dwelling in the presence of God as often as you can. And it's about dealing with the emotions that they come and trying your best to align yourself with the will of God. So our challenge is to go out into the world and be and be a light, be happy, be proud, smile when you're walking down the you could be angry, just smile when you're walking down the sidewalk. People will see and smile just because you're smiling. You don't actually have to feel happy. <laughs> just be smiling. And enough people smile at you, you might actually get a little happy. <laughs> Work to be in the will of God. Work on yourself. Deal with the emotions. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be depressed. If you need to go to a psycholo- psychologist or a therapist, go. Go. God gave us the ability to reason and ration for a reason. He gave us the ability to make medicine for a reason. Do the best you can and do a mighty work for the Lord. Let's bow our heads today for prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the stay. I thank you for the people here. I thank you for this book, Jonah, that just makes it so clear that you're a gracious God whose mercies are new every single morning. That even when we sin yesterday, today's a new day, and tomorrow's another chance to live for you for the first time or for the thousandth time, to do what is right and to help us to get in your will and walk and be the best version of ourselves we can be and that we can shine a light. Lord, help these people as they go out that in this dark, dark world, they'll continue to keep their eyes on you, they'll continue to walk through the valleys. And they will be able to cherish those moments on the hilltops with you. I ask that you just just put a hedge about the people. Just give them the, the security in knowing that you are God. That, it's, that you have the best for everyone. Maybe even not on this earth, but one day in heaven, we will be united with you. And we will have joy exceeding you. I ask that you watch these people, you take care of these people, if anybody has any questions, they'll see me after the, the, the service so that we can discuss this. Because knowing you and being in your will is the greatest place to be. Ask all these things in be holy and precious man, Lord Jesus Christ.